a lot of times people get depressed, they get overwhelmed, they overspend, all of those things. But I want to share with you, before we go into the message, something to encourage you. No, that's all right. There was a woman, and she prayed. She prayed diligently. She prayed, Lord, let my pantry be full. And she prayed this prayer for a while. She needed food, and she was somewhat desperate, I would guess. But nevertheless, she would continue to pray, Lord, fill my pantry. One day she was preparing to leave her home and she heard a quick knock on the door. She goes and she answers the door. And she answers the door and she, she goes to step out and lo and behold, down on her front porch on her door were all these groceries to fill her pantry. And this woman with all this great excitement began to praise the Lord. And she began to say, God did it! God did it! God did it! As soon as she said that, this man jumped out of the bushes. And he said, hey, I'm your neighbor next door. And I've been hearing you for several days praying for God to fill your pantry. Well, I want you to know I'm an atheist. But I went to the store and I bought all these groceries and put them at your doorstep so you could fill your pantry. So God didn't do it. And without exception, that woman, she began to praise God again. God did it. God did it. God did it. And the man said, wait a minute, ma'am. You didn't hear me. I told you, I went to the store. And I purchased the groceries. I used my own car. I used my own energy. And I used everything that I needed to get you these groceries. And I, and I used my own credit card. It's... I did it. You're praising the wrong God. And without exception, this woman, with all her boldness, she began to say, God did it. God did it. God did it. And he used the devil to pay for it. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you ever are in doubt, trust God. Just goes to show you he can use the old nasty raven to feed the hungry. Amen? Yes. So next time you're down and out and somebody who is an unbeliever begins to bless you, just say, God did it and he used the devil to do it. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Don't tell me he can't take the devil and, and, and make him do good things. See? That's how it works. Amen. So now if you got your Bibles, now we'll go into the word. And just remember, God did it. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him or them in the end. Father, I thank you this morning. Above all, I just thank you for the miracle of Christmas. Father, for what you did for us, an unworthy people, Lord, you changed our lives. 
And for that, Lord Jesus, I'm eternally grateful. I ask this morning, God, that you would take this word, make it effective in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We know the Christmas story, and I've been sharing with this now for a couple of weeks now, talking about Christmas. And, and I wanted to go into this portion because a lot of miracles took place. At least the world would say a lot of miracles took place. But see, what we, the world fails to understand is this was all God's plan. God had formulated this from the beginning of the earth. Remember, when he created the earth, remember, it was nothing. And bam, God made something. I like that Bob told me that the other week, and I, I hung on to that. I wanted, couldn't wait to share it. Because only God can make something out of nothing. You know how I know that? I can look at my own life. If you examined your own life, you can see that God can make something out of nothing. We begin to think about the taxing that would take place and everybody was to go to their own hometowns and, and to be counted and to be taxed. That was an unnormal, that was not a normal situation back then because you were taxed in the towns that you lived in. There were tax collectors all over the place. Ask Zacchaeus. He had to get up in a tree to just, just to get straightened out. Sometimes we have to get caught in a tree in order to see down. But this taxing would take place, and, and, and this particular one was different because each one had to go to their own hometown. And the trip itself would be a miracle because it was not a small journey. It was a rather long journey. And to be nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey taking a ride, I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. But you know, nowhere in the scripture do I see that Mary complained about the trip. Nowhere in the scripture do I see her say, you know, you could have brought a couple extra blankets to put on this beast so I could ride more comfortably. You could have made a wagon, filled it with straw and some hay, and I could have laid back there and you might have invented some shocks so that it wasn't such a rough ride. The timing of the birth, people would say, was a miracle. It was a cool month. Matter of fact, why would that be a miracle, Pastor? Well, because babies born in that part of the world, in that century and in that time, born in the cool months, they didn't live long. They were susceptible to colds and illnesses. And, and babies didn't live long when they were born in the cool weather. But this was no ordinary birth. This was no ordinary child that was coming to earth. But you know what I plague my mind with sometimes, and I often talk to God about it. I know why, but it just... Yeah, how many taking time to read a portion of your Bible or a portion of the scripture? And Jesus says in his word, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am ye may be also. And he also goes on to say, in my house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you so. Right? So we begin to think, church, of all these beautiful mansions and these beautiful homes that we're going to have when we get to heaven, right? And I think about, well, why couldn't Jesus have had one here when he was born? Why couldn't he have displayed the awesome power of God and, and been born in a, in a grand gesture of a way? Why a manger instead of a mansion? Well, as I began to study that, and I began to look at that, I began to look at the manger itself. You see, because I believe that the manger perfectly pictures his rejection. There was no room for him in the inn. There was room for businesses. All those people who had money and had a little bit of wealth, they were there living it up, eating plenty of food. The innkeepers were getting rich because all these influx of people that had to come to town for this taxing to be counted. There was room for pleasure in the end. All these people were making merry and just living life. And there was room for others but no room for him. You see, when I began to picture that, and I began to think on this astonishing fact, and I wonder today, in the Christian life, how many of us are making room in the end for Jesus? How many of us are truly opened our heart up 100% to him? You see, because a lot of times, I think we, we know Jesus, we know who he is, we know what he's done for us, but you know, I want some worldly pleasure. Jesus would understand. You see, I have to always keep room in my inn for Jesus. There always has to be a place for him. As a matter of fact, if it was my mansion and this was considered a mansion, I'd give him the whole top floor. You see the amazing rejection of this message in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And in verse 1 it says, the word was God. The word was the creator in verse 3. And then we go on to verse 10 and we're knowing his... The world was made by the word. God is the word. So many times we, we, we think we, we don't focus on the word. We focus on words of others. And what others have to say and what others try to portray about our Lord Jesus Christ. But the word is the living word. In the beginning was the word, not the world. The Word. And so many times I think we take our focus off of Jesus Christ and we try to rationalize with some people out there that are not rational. The world knew him not. And even today, I've seen 
I can't tell you the countless number of people that have quit going to church. And I've said, well, the romanticness of the church is gone. The lure of the Christian life is floating away. It's, it's not all real. It's not all that it's, uh, it, that the word, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's man-made. And I begin to think about how some of our churches have tried to fabricate the Holy Spirit. How some of our churches have taken the word and have decided to exclude things because we don't want to be offensive. But didn't Jesus say that it would be offensive? You see, I serve an offensive God. He doesn't like sin. Oh, don't, Pastor, please don't go down that alley. Don't go down that road. He doesn't like to, he loves the sinner, but he does not like the sin. And people don't want to hear because they're sinners and they haven't turned their heart to God. Surely he is an all-loving God. I've heard a numerous of pastors say he's an all-loving God. And he's not going to exclude anybody from heaven. I don't know what Bible they're reading. I don't know what word they heard from. But the word, the living word of God, has told me that that's not the case. Matter of fact, it's made it very clear to me there's going to be one thing missing in heaven. Did you know that? Sin. Sin will be missing. When we begin to think about the world, I begin to think about Christ because Christ is the Word. And the Word created the world. And he had to put all this together and he put all these wonderful people on the earth and he, he told this young man, he says, now you go and you replenish it, but you know, Everything that's in the garden, you just name it and then and that's going to be its name. And saw that he was lonely and he created this beautiful woman named Eve and gave him a helpmate. You think they could have kept it together? No. You're out. Because they couldn't keep it together. They allowed the enemy to become an influencer. They allowed the devil to begin to influence them and and got them ousted. So they go on and they have children and their children bring violence into the world. One kills another. And the world continues to grow and it begins to expand and finally God had enough and he said, I got to get ready, I got to clean things up. Pastor, what's this got to do with the Christmas story? What's this got to do with her bringing forth her firstborn son? You see, sometimes we got to travel back in time and we got to move forward. As a friend has told me many times, you got you to go back to where the train went off the tracks. And see, a lot of times we have to remember things didn't get better 
God flooded it, cleaned it up, started over. Represents rejection. Each one of us have the opportunity to start over. How did we get that opportunity? By God sending his firstborn son, the only begotten of God, Jesus Christ, to the earth so that we all could start over. You see, because Jesus went to the cross for each one of us. You see, so it wasn't just the manger, this wooden box that he laid in, but that wooden box was going to become a cross. But what saddens me at Christmas more than anything else, it's not not having things. It's not getting things. It's not seeing the joy on people's face. What saddens me the most is how many in the world today still reject him and reject everything about him. You see, I can know with confidence in my heart that each one in this, in this church today have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I know that because of that, all of you are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other thing I remember about the manger is it perfectly pictures his redemption. You see the two signs given by the angels to the shepherds. They would find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Swaddling clothes were stripped of clothes to keep the baby warm and to provide security. These clothes were believed to protect the baby's internal organs. The custom of wrapping infants this way was so that in the Middle Eastern countries and elsewhere, they wouldn't succumb to cold. But many would. You see, because I know you're going to find this hard to believe. Some of you might even find it shocking, but there's a lot of places today a lot like it was back in that time. There were mothers who didn't take good care of their children. There were bad parents back then. I know we find that hard to believe because that just started just a few years ago. But you see, what makes a child feel loved is how their parents embrace them and cuddle them and coddle them and, and love them. But here we see lying in a manger the Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling clothes. These strips of clothes would also represent burial or death. But John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God. The next day in John 1, 29, he says, In the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Just think about this. This little baby who Mary knew was the Son of God, who was coming to this earth for the lost. Now, all you ladies in here who've had children, you can just try to comprehend just for a moment what it would be like if somebody told you that 
your son was going to grow up and be killed because he was going to save you. That'd be kind of a hard thing to comprehend, a hard thing to swallow today, wouldn't it? A mother giving up her son for this cause. You see, it was not far from the manger to the cross. We must not forget the cross this time of year because the, the manger and the cross are an active part of the Christian life. We Sure, we come together and we celebrate Christmas because we're recognizing the birth of Jesus Christ. But some years later, we're going to see that, that that whole thing was going to change. You see, the manger perfectly pictures his reachability. Think about that for a moment. Because of the manger, because of his humble birth, not one in a hospital, not one in a, in, in a, in a grandiose mansion, as I was mentioning earlier, but a humble manger scene, a, a humble man in a place that wasn't clean. If most of you women were to walk into a stable today in Middle Eastern Europe where something like this took place and you walked into that scene, most of you would start gagging because of the stench from the animals. You see, they weren't commonly bathing their animals back in the day like we bathe horses today. If you've ever been out to Wellington to some of the polo grounds, horses have swimming pools out there. It's incredible. Never seen anything like it. They bathe them. Our dogs and cats go to these little pet salons to get their toenails cut and get their fur brushed out and get bathed and get all nice looking. We take our birds to the vet so they can clip their wings so they won't fly away from us. We do all these grandiose things for these animals so they can smell nice and not smell up our homes. But yet the baby Jesus was born in a dirty, smelly, lowly manger because nobody could make room for her in the inn. Nobody would open their inn to allow this woman who was ready to give birth a place but yet one innkeeper said, I don't have room, but I, but I can make a place. Could you imagine his reward? That he went out of his way to not only clean the area up, but to get fresh straw. A means of comfort, if you will. So that this lady could have her baby. And we begin to think of the announcement to the shepherds. We begin to think of how the angels burst on the scene. Probably gave those men a heart attack. And said, fear not. Good thing they said that first. They would have scattered like bugs. And they begin to announce the arrival of Jesus. They begin to announce the greatest miracle to mankind. God coming to earth in the form of a man to save the world from their sins. The lost. 
He came to seek and to save the lost. I'll tell you what, church, I think that's the greatest Christmas gift I could ever get. The fact that Jesus would come so that I could no longer be lost. How many in here this morning can say, I am happy, I am no longer lost? You see, we could say we're found. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. And how do we see? By simply taking the word from the word. You hear me? Taking the word from the word and applying it to our everyday lives. Applying it to how we live our lives. The greatest Christmas story is your story. What Jesus has done for you. The greatest gift of receiving this Savior into our own lives and and coming to know who He is and to live for Him. To follow after Him. To seek Him with all that is within us. And I'm not talking about, hey, pastor, I read the whole Bible in a year. That's great. How much did you retain? Listen, take 10 years to read the Bible if you need to. But listen, take it and just allow it to affect your life. Because I'm telling you this morning, the greatest gift you can give to the world is when you leave here today, you can be able to go out there and tell them that Jesus loves them so much so that he came for them. To bring them new life, a precious gift, salvation. I don't know about you, but I believe there are so many in the world today that want to know Jesus. But they know, coming to know him, they're going to have to give up a few things. And the major thing they're going to have to give up is sin. You see, sin is only for a short time. It's pleasurable for a short time because, you see, once we pass from this life and we go to be with Jesus Christ, we're going to have eternity. And eternity is spent in two places. Heaven, you know, or the other place. Smoking section. Hell. See, people don't like to say that word hell because it makes you cringe. It doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't sound very pleasurable. But see, when we think about heaven, it starts with the letter H. The second letter starts with a... But when you think about hell, it starts with a... And the second letter is a... And you wonder, how did we end up with this? But when you say heaven, just when you say the word heaven, it sounds so peaceful. It sounds like I want to go there. I want to be a part of that. It sounds so nice. But when you see the and hear the word Hell. 
It's like fall. You know, it's like, this doesn't sound very nice. This doesn't sound very good. I really don't want to go there. I don't want to be a part of that. But people are going to be a part of that. The Word of God tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many are traveling that road. So we know that that's going to happen. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And only a few will travel that road. You see, church, we can't water down the Word. We can't lighten up on what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. We simply need to remember what God did for us by sending his son Jesus to save the world from sin. Following after him. So when I think of the manger, I think of the peace, the love, the joy, and the experience of knowing my Jesus and all that he's done for me. Church, when we begin to think about Christmas, we need to experience the manger. God sent love to the earth for Lynn, for Irene, for Tom, for Bob, for Jack and Betty, for Randy and Melissa, for all of us. He sent this love. He loved you that much. That much. That he would give you such a precious gift as this. Church, when you get together with family over Christmas, I will employ you to please take a few minutes to pray with your family and thank him for the most precious gift that he's given us. And that's salvation. That he's given, God has given his son Jesus that we may have eternal life. That's a precious gift. A gift that's free and it's for all year long. It's actually for eternity. <laughs> that's even a better gift. This one, you don't have to worry about, well, when I close my eyes in death, it's all over. No, it's just the beginning. <laughs> that's exciting. Come on, that's exciting. That makes you want to have church by itself. The awesome gift will be Christmas morning. We're out of here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an awesome gift for Christmas? Wow. I bet y'all probably beat me up there. I'll be still trying to get my socks off or something. You know, who knows? But God is good. And he's faithful. Church, I think it's time for us to return to the manger and remember that precious gift that God has given. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this precious gift of the manger. God, I thank you for sending your only begotten. Lord, that you would die for us a sinful creature, unworthy. But God, you would send your son to save the world from their sin. And Lord, I thank you that you've done that. That Jesus came 
to seek and to save that which is lost. But Father, as we go back to the manger, we go back to the beginning. And Lord, the many things that took place in this young life. Lord, you had your hand upon him the whole time. As you have your hand upon each one of us right now. Lord, let us be grateful. Let us be thankful for all that you've done and continue to do through the manger. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let us stand together.